This is Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. It's powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com slash masters. Hey, entrepreneurs, my name is Felix, and I'm the host of the Shopify Masters podcast. Each week, we put out podcast interviews with successful e-commerce entrepreneurs or experts to give you inspiration, motivation, and actionable tips to increase your traffic and sales so your store can generate the sales you need to live the life you want. In the last episode, Lindsay Windham and Nate Justice from distillunion.com revealed the lessons they learned from launching their $2 million business on Amazon. On today's podcast, we learn from an entrepreneur that sold his product into 1,200 Home Depots. In this episode, you'll learn the criteria this entrepreneur uses to kill hundreds of ideas, what makes a product attractive to a big box buyer, and the difference between selling on Zulily versus Amazon. Today, I'm joined by Noshat Ali from DrainStrain.com. DrainStrain is a clog-preventing drain stopper meant for your bathroom sink and was featured on Shark Tank and was started in 2014 and based out of Woodenville, Washington. Welcome, Noshad. Hi, how are you, Felix? Good. Thanks for coming on. So tell us a little bit more about the drain strain. Like, how does this uh, device work? So drain strain is a an elegant solution to a really nasty problem, right? Everybody's had a chance, had to go down in the drain at some point or other and unclog it or hire a plumber to do it, right? Uh-huh. So, and every all the solutions out there right now, ninety percent of them are reacting to the problem. Drain strain is designed to prevent the problem from getting into the P trap. So the way it works is drain strain is uh, basically a basket integrated into a drain stopper. So it works seamlessly to prevent clogs, catch hair and gunk and jewelry from going down into the P-trap. It looks more elegant than your existing stopper. And the basket is below the drain line. So you never really actually see the gunk accumulating. Mm, Very cool. Yeah, I remember... I remember actually seeing this device on Shark Tank with my wife, and uh, we were like, "Man, we really need to get a device like this for our our bathtub." It's such a obvious, uh, I guess, answer to to a very obvious problem that everyone has. How did you, I guess, come up with the idea behind it? Like, what was the the motivation to to create a product like this? My wife and daughter have very long hair, and so uh, they clogged the sink. And one of the things about me, I'm, I'm a real estate agent. I'm a realtor by trade at the time and, and not very handy. So when it got clogged, you know, we ended up calling a plumber and they came, they basically undid the P-trap, took out a nasty amount of hair and it's kind of, it's kind of a cumbersome and long process as I watched it. And, uh, and then, you know, he plunks a bill down for 150 bucks and I said, wow, uh, and my wife asked him a very simple question is, how can we prevent this from happening again? And he thought about it. He was an honest plumber. I, I didn't think he was trying to, to pull one over on me, but he said nothing. And that didn't really make any sense to me. So I started doing some research, and there are uh, a few solutions out there. You you can buy those plain, you know, the strainers. that They, they look like a little strainer, but... You actually have to take your drain stopper out and put this drainer in, uh, and it basically sits there, and you watch the hair accumulate, and and then you lose your stopper functionality. So if you wanted to fill your sink with hair, you couldn't do it. 
But most importantly, my wife wouldn't let me put that in because, A, she washed clothes in the, um, she would soak clothes in the sink, and uh, so we wouldn't be able to stop the sink anymore. And secondly, she said, we're not going to have a really nice house and have guests come over and watch and look at this ugly strainer in the sink. Uh, and so she wouldn't let me put it in. They also have these white domes that you can put over it, which is even uglier. I mean, they're like cheap white plastic domes, and anyone with a house that has guests would never use that. So it got me down the path of thinking, well, there's got to be a better way. And uh, I had some initial concept ideas, and I, you know, I'm not very good at drawing, but my wife is, and so I, I described it to her. She kind of put it on paper, and then I started... Um, you know, doing some patent research and uh, and then figured out there was nothing else like it. And uh, then I pursued it and here we are. Very cool. So you mentioned that you are a realtor by trade, uh, but did you have a background of starting uh, product businesses? Did you try other product, creating products um, in the past? So I've never created a product. Now I get a hundred ideas a year in my mm-hmm. head. Uh, and my family will tell you that I drive them nuts, like, oh, my God, we should do this. But the thing about me is you know, I'm a graduate of UC Berkeley's business school, and uh, that uh, that helps me a lot because uh, I can run the numbers in my head and run the idea through my head, and 99% of all of them I've actually shot down. This is really the only one that survived because the economics don't work uh, or – it's not a big enough problem or the solution is too cost intensive or there may not be enough people that would pay for that solution. So I run through a lot of these questions in my head very quickly and then I shoot the idea down and I move on. So this is the only one that's really kind of survived the economics of a startup. You know, the problem is huge. I mean, the opportunity is huge. You know, you've got a 135 million households in America alone. You know, and on average, you know, basically a half a billion potential sinks that the drain strain can fit into. So, you know, if you just look at that, and then also, you know, we have uh, the bathtub version that we're about to launch in a few months, and the bathtub problem is even bigger than the sink, uh, and we get tremendous requests for a bathtub solution, and so we believe that the bathtub one is actually going to do greater revenue than our sink version. Very cool. So you mentioned that you have these uh, filters, these criteria that you have set in your head that you run all these ideas through. And I think this is a very valuable asset to have for any entrepreneur because of these hundreds of ideas that we often come up with all the time. The last thing you want to do is have something hanging around in your head, disrupting you, distracting you throughout your day. Uh, And running it through this kind of gauntlet of uh, criteria, I think, is a great way to put things to bed that that don't deserve to be in your head. So tell us a bit more about the um, the list then that you go through. You mentioned that you look for things to make sure that they're not too cost-intensive. You look for a large enough market. Are there any other kind of key factors that you recommend other entrepreneurs that are in this kind of ideation stage to to take a close look at to determine if it's going to be a viable product uh, business or not? Yeah, you know, know, the general – there's a – a few different things that I look at. And so just kind of as a side note, I have a Disrupt by Design is a company I started in 2012 when I actually had this idea. And Disrupt by Design, so I knew when I took this journey uh, to get Drain Strain to market that 
I was going to do a lot of learning and create a lot of connections that would be helpful if I were to just document it and create a process that would allow other entrepreneurs to tap into to accelerate from taking their product from even you know ideation to sales or prototype to sales. Uh, so, uh, so I have this company, Disrupt by Design, and the whole idea behind it is to allow uh, so people contact me, and I basically take it through my filtration system, uh, you know, an evaluation system to decide whether I want to uh, invest time, money, or energy, or, or help them to get from idea to market. And the criteria that I use is uh, the overarching criteria is, is, the, is the juice worth the squeeze, right? So there, you know, and by that I mean, if I'm going to go invest a lot of time and energy as an entrepreneur to take an idea and bring it to market, I mean, that process is so time intensive. It could be, uh, you know, financially a burden. And you've got to have so much energy and passion to get it to the finish line. If you're going to go do all of that, are you going to make enough money or get enough reward or satisfaction? Is the juice worth the squeeze, right, to get to that point? And a lot of people don't necessarily look at, hey, is this a big enough market? Is this problem, is this solution going to be something people are willing to pay for if it's a problem you're trying to solve? How do you get this product to market? Is it going to require millions of dollars in advertising to create awareness? And if it is, do you have that money? And if you do it, are you going to get enough return? And how are you going to get investors to invest in it? There's a lot of different questions. But I always ask people, you know, Stephen Covey in The Seven Habits, you know, I read that many, many years ago. And one of the habits always has stuck in my head, which is, Begin with the end in mind. So if you've got this product, what, is, what does it look like, right? Are you in retail stores? Are you marketing it online? How are you marketing it? Can you market it? And then do you have, because people, entrepreneurs don't really think through the distribution and the marketing, but that's really where you have to begin. Because you could have the greatest product, but if no one knows about it, you're never going to sell it. Or you could have a great product or a solution uh, and you can market it all day, but no one's going to buy it because it's just not a big enough market. So what does the end look like, right? So for me, Drain Strain was, you know, obviously I couldn't count on Shark Tank as being a marketing channel. However, I thought because it's such a niche uh, or because it's a very specific problem I'm solving and it's a problem that I already knew the market, right? There's $200 million in chemical cleaner sales and lots of zip-it sales and, and strainer sales. So there's a potential for, there's a billion-dollar market in here somewhere, right? If you've got a half a billion sinks in the U.S. alone and it's a worldwide problem, then you've got, you know, you've got the opportunity for a billion to tap into a billion-dollar market. And so then the question is, how do you get to it? Now, obviously, uh, you can be very specific in your advertising 
with a product like Brain Strain. You can get tap into plumbers. You can tap into hotels because this is a great hotel product. So when I looked at it, I thought, well, I don't really need to spend millions of dollars advertising if I get it into a Home Depot, if I tap into Roto-Rooters, if I tap into... So the whole idea was to get to where this problem is and see if I can partner with those people. And if I can, that's really how I could... Uh, accelerate sales without necessarily investing a tremendous amount in marketing and advertising. So this is a very long-winded answer to your question, but you know, the biggest the biggest hurdle for people is, you know, think through your vision, see what the end looks like, and do you have the ability to execute at that level? And is this product gonna be something that is you know, the juice worth the squeeze. I like that. So you, your goal, or not your goal, but one of the, the distribution channels, one of the marketing channels that you're talking about is getting into a big store like Home Depot or getting onto some kind of listing, some other, some site like a Roto-Rooter. But that's also, you know, a big gamble, right? It comes, it comes with big rewards, but it's also a big gamble. If you don't get into these markets, uh, you're kind of, not necessarily doomed, but you now cut off one of the, the biggest, uh, I guess, pieces of your, your overall plan plan how do you did you hedge against this or like how did you yes. yeah how do you handle that yeah so the other thing with uh, with basically online right the other uh because this is a very specific problem we could search engine optimize for the problem so uh, if we um if you've got people who are um search searching online for liquid plumber or drano we we could basically buy AdWords to uh, to basically get uh, drain strain in front of them, right? Because we know that that person has this problem. If they're looking for Drano or liquid plumber or chemical cleaner or something, we know that person has the problem we're trying to solve. If they're looking, if they type in Roto Rooter or drain cleaner or so, so, there are very specific keywords that would allow us to target the the consumer that has this problem. So that was the the hedge is, look, even if we don't get out in the mass market world, we can actually target the right players with keywords because we know exactly who's looking for it. It's not like a fashion item, right, where you don't know who the who would potentially buy it or if they would like this fashion. It's not uh, it's not a uh, it, it's it's a very utilitarian solution right, to a problem that is very common. And we just knew that if we could create awareness that we would be successful. Awesome. So you did get into these Home Depots and uh, you mentioned, uh, I think, before the podcast, before the recording that you are also going to be in Lowe's. Yes, um, next month. Yeah. Congratulations. So 1,200 Home Depot stores, 550 Lowe's stores. That's, that's what was listed in the pre-interview uh, notes. Uh, tell us about your strategy here. How did you get into these stores? Like, Where did it all begin? This was a really uh, strategic and networked kind of opportunity. So, actually, there's a couple of uh, you know things. One, uh, I connected with a commercial Home Depot uh, sales rep over here, the local regional uh, sales rep in Washington. I showed him the product, and he had a real passion for it. And he actually sent the prototype and a note directly to the buyer and made that introduction. And the timing was such that um, I had the meeting with the buyer set up 
for two weeks after my Shark Tank uh, shooting. So, and it was just coincidental because I would have preferred to have met with him prior to my Shark Tank shooting so that I had some sort of deal that I could present there, but the timing didn't work out. So I went on Shark Tank before I actually met with the buyers, even though I had the appointment scheduled prior to it. And the, um, so, but it, basically it was a meeting that was the fruit of just a, a local connection that had, you know, really liked it, was a real um, advocate for it, and introduced me to the buyer. And the buyer, when he saw it, really, uh, really thought it was a great product. And, you know, said, hey, look, we'll, you know, Brad said, love the product, love to have you in here. And it was still at prototype stage. He said, but you know, and we're ha- you know because this is such a unique product, we're happy to work with you as a an individual vendor. But it would be a lot easier if you were represented by one you know, one of the distributors that are already you know selling into Home Depot. And he said, "Look, I'll introduce you to a couple. See if you can make a relationship happen because that'll accelerate your adoption into the Home Depot stores." So he actually connected me with a um, a distributor that you know that I hit it off with, and they ended up actually introducing me to a, a manufacturer in um, Taiwan, and then we actually found a supplier in China. And so, long story short, you know this connection with Brad, the buyer at Home Depot was really critical to our development of the product and uh, sales cycle and distribution because if he hadn't introduced us to the um, you know to that rep we may not have connected with the right suppliers you know overseas to get the cost down to where we needed to and and now we have a great relationship with the factory and the suppliers and and we're again developing you know a, a bathtub product uh, and and that's how it all began so these introductions to to the buyers, to the reps, to the distributors, they're just you know obviously showing you the the door, but you you still have to you know walk through it, right? You still need to 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 finish and sell the the idea. What do you think? What do you think was it about your business or the product or the problem that you were focused on that made you an attractive uh, partner to to work with? Yeah, so it goes back again to the evaluation of the product, right? So I think one of the things that uh, one of the filters I use that I haven't mentioned previously is, is it protectable, right? Because if something is successful and you get out into the marketplace, then, and you aren't a large manufacturer, it's easy for a bigger player to knock it off and come in with a cheaper, potentially better version of what you have. And they already have the distribution channel set up. So the key really is, can you protect the idea? And is it, uh, is it something that um, would be unique enough in the marketplace where, you're, um, you know, where the buyer or someone would be like, yeah, we don't carry anything like it. Makes total sense. I'm in, right? So with Drain Strain, we had a patent already issued and... So they knew that they weren't going to be able to, you know, a month later, there wasn't going to be 
you know, Price Fister or Moen coming out with a similar product because it was patented. So that was really helpful in garnering interest because they knew uh, that there wasn't going to be five other products exactly like this coming out. We were protected. Right. So you don't want to obviously compete with any products that are already on the shelves at these uh, big box retailers. But on top of that, you don't want to bring a product to them that could be copied and uh, without these protections that that you did have in place. Um, so other than than uh, all of those uh, steps that you took to 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 seal the deal what did you have to do with with yourself with the business to prepare for a successful launch into a big box retailer well big box retailers are very uh, are cash intensive because you have to provide the inventory and then most of them pay net 90 and some of them pay net 60 so basically, you're, you could be floating hundreds of thousands of dollars of inventory to your partners before you, you know, for 90 days before you get a check, right? So that was one of the learning you know, experiences. The other thing is, uh, this was a, a really uh, great exercise that everyone needs to do, is if you're going to be in retail, you have to understand the pricing model. So you need to understand whether your costing makes sense considering the end retail price for the retailer. So, for example, with us, the question is, you know, I had always envisioned this product to be $9.99. And most replacement stoppers are anywhere from $6.99 to $8.99 if you just buy, in essence, a dumb stopper, a simple stopper that you know, you have in your sink right now. So we uh, felt like we could charge more and have people pay for it because obviously it's a smart stopper. It solves a problem. It's not just a dumb stopper. So, but we also felt that we couldn't be too, you know, we, we thought at the retail level, it should be at $9.99 and online, maybe $12.99 because, you know, you have to factor in shipping and all of that. So then you have to work the supply chain backwards, right? And say, well, if I'm going to sell at retail at $9.99 or $10.99 or $12.99, these retailers are going to want to buy at 50% margin at minimum. So let's just use some simple math and say, hey, if I'm selling at $10, they're going to buy it for me for 5 bucks and maybe even a few points less than that. And then you have to say, okay, uh, then what do I need to really make my product at to be profitable? Because there's some additional costs you're going to have in between. So it's the product cost. You're going to have shipping costs. You're going to have uh, potentially commission costs to distributors and, uh, and reps if you have those. So you really have to do the numbers and say, can I make this profitable at all supply chain levels? So a lot of people just say, oh, yeah, if I'm making it at Four bucks, and I'm selling it online at you know, fifteen or twelve or thirteen bucks. Then I'm I'm doing great, right? But and that works well potentially if you're online only. But if you are if you want to try and get into other channels, there's different models, and the cost may not work. 
Mm-hmm. Makes sense. So these other channels that you're getting into, uh, are, are online at least, are Amazon and Zulily. So you've had a lot of success on these channels as well. Tell us a little about this. Like, Which one did you launch into first or were you in both marketplaces at the same time? So we started Zulily first uh, because as part of our partnership with uh, the Hershevec group on Shark Tank, they introduced us to Zulily, and Zulily was having a Shark Tank event. So our first actual production run, we got the shipment, and uh, we allotted, um, and we had actually sold hotels you know, first as well. And so our first shipment, we were down to maybe two or 3,000 pieces, and we allotted those to Zulily, and this was our first real marketing test. And in our first, uh, in the first promotions that Lily ran uh, in the Shark Tank event, we were sold out of product in the first three hours of the event, wow. which was super exciting for us. That was really the watershed moment. That was a milestone event for us because until that point, it was still all theory. Would people buy this product? Would people get it? Is there a need for it? But when we saw that first event, sell out in three hours, we knew we were, we were going to be successful. So what differences have you found now that you are in both uh, Amazon and Zulily? Are there different strategies in terms of marketing, in terms of how you present the product on those two marketplaces? Yeah, so that's really been an interesting thing. Uh, and David Hislop is uh, my marketing director. It's been great to have him because it's allowed us to test a lot of different um, channels online and test different, uh, and we're continuing to add channel partners. Zulily is more of a promotional uh, value kind of partner. So they run uh, short events, and we're, uh, and we're, so we're not on Zulily.com every day. We just are on there during promotional events. And so we have a very short window. We, we're out there at special pricing, and then we're off. Amazon is more of our day-to-day online store strategy, So, and along with our website, drainstrain.com. So uh, what we find is, obviously, Amazon drives a lot of traffic to their site. And w- what happens is, what we found is that Amazon buyers potentially come to our website to learn more about it, and how, it, how to install it, how to operate it, if it works. And then they go back potentially and buy it on Amazon. So we find that Amazon's really our checkout store, but uh, our website has evolved into a, more of an informational store as a validation point and an educational point for potential buyers uh, to help make their decision. Mm. So on Zulily, do you find that it's more impulse buying? Like what's the... Yes. The, I see. And in that case, then, are there ways to, um, I guess, uh, not necessarily take advantage of it, but to set up your profile, set up your products in a way that is more conducive to impulse buying? Yeah. So what, when we partner with someone like Zalili, and even uh, we're hopefully going to be able to establish a relationship with the Gromit, uh, they are experts at marketing to their consumer base. And so they usually own the content. They actually, uh, in fact, Zulily does a great job with 
uh, product photographs and marketing it to uh, be consistent with their website, with their promotional strategies, and with their consumer base, because they're primarily female. So their uh, their clients are and viewers are primarily female. So they understand how to market to them, and they own the content, and they've done a great job with it. So we don't try to mess in a space that we don't know, and we just let them deal with the content, and they've done a great job with it. Very cool. So obviously a big 2017 lineup for you guys, um, again, launching a Lowe's at the beginning of the year. What, what else do you have planned? What do, where do you want to see the business? Where do, you, where do you want to see the brand be by this time next year? This time next year, we want, well, we're launching. So here's the thing, the beautiful thing about online uh, sales and the online channels is you can learn a lot about your customers. In the retail world, you can't. So we don't know who's buying our product at Home Depot. However, we do know who's buying it online. And originally and intuitively, you would think the drain strain would be a a man's product. It would be something that men would do because it's a plumbing item and they mm-hmm. would be the ones buying it. But what we've found uh, through all of our online sales that is that 80% of our buyers are women because they're the ones who have the problem. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who are creating the problem with their hair, apparently, <laughs> right? And so they're the ones who are actually buying the product. And that can actually, that sort of learning has helped us because then we used that information to help evolve our branding. So we've just relaunched, uh, we've basically just rebranded Drain Strain. We have different colors, a different tagline, and, that, uh, and that's all geared towards our new, uh, new learning of who our customer is. And also, we're growing from one product to multi-product company. So we're, like I said, we're, we're launching Drain Strain Deluxe, which is a metal cap. Our current version is a plastic cap, but what we've found is that, uh, you know, we've learned from our uh, adopters in the hotel space that the hotel space needs something more industrial. And also, based on our Amazon reviews, we've gotten several four-star reviews that have said, I would have given it five stars if it was metal. That just told us that, hey, people are willing to pay more uh, if they feel the product is... um, more substantial so uh it looks the same but it just feels heavier and and for whatever reason that is important to the consumer but from a functional perspective it's it's important for hotels so we're basically delivering our first drain strain deluxe product in january which will be a metal cap version of the same thing so if you've got an upscale home or if you just like metal construction for the homeowners, it's going to be the solution. And uh, for hotels, it's definitely the right solution. Then we're also adding the bathtub version, which we're going to launch in April. It's in tooling right now. And that, I think, is going to be a huge opportunity for the company. We also have the replacement basket. And part of the model here is that most drain stoppers, you know, you sell once and it'll last for 10, 12, 15 years and nobody ever changes a drain stopper unless, you know, they're changing out the faucet. So with drain strain, the beauty of it is it's kind of like the razor blade model or the inkjet model. When you buy drain strain, right, drain stopper, you know, and the basket gets full, you can either clean it 
and uh, reuse it. But what we've done is we've designed it so you never have to touch the gunk. We have two buttons on the top of the cap that you can just press. The basket releases, falls into your trash can or recycle bin. You put in a new basket and put it back in, and you've never touched the gunk. So it's just the the easiest, simplest, five seconds, no mess, no fuss way to clean it. And if we get continued, re- you know, uh, refill basket sales, you know, we're going to have a similar, you know, inkjet kind of model. Mm-hmm. And we have, uh, uh, you know, we have started to see our ba- replacement basket sales increase now that we've had people with. Uh, drain strain installed in their sinks for several months, and I think people, you know, for a buck fifty, if you don't ever have to deal with this, then you're just gonna press the button and you're done, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so that's the uh, that's the you know the launch plan for next year is basically, hey, we're introducing drain strain deluxe, uh, and then with Shark Tank, we ha- we just shot a Shark Tank update uh, last. Uh, a couple of months ago is uh, Robert Hershevac, and that will hopefully air in uh, January or February. And once that launches, that should be, um, you know, hoping to be a really huge catalyst for our sales moving forward. Because I'm not sure if you saw the original Shark Tank airing, but I was there pitching a prototype. I just had a prototype, and I was just trying to explain the concept to the sharks and uh, and. Uh, when I made the deal, it was contingent on us obtaining a licensing partner, not necessarily going into the aftermarket distribution channel. So uh, a lot of people don't even realize we're in market because if you were to see that show, you wouldn't really figure based on how it ended that we would be available for sale at retail. Mm-hmm. You would just assume at some point it'll show up in a faucet because that's what the uh, what how the show was edited, um, and and that's the deal we made. But with the Shark Tank update, people understanding that hey, this is a viable product. It's it's a real product. It's a su- successful product, and it's a functional product uh, with great reviews. We hopefully will turn on the faucet to those millions of viewers, <laughs> and uh, you know get uh, you know get our sales accelerated for for next year. Very cool, exciting uh, future for you guys. So thanks so much for your time, Noshad. So DrainStrain.com is again is the website. Uh, how do people stay up to date uh, follow along with uh, these upcoming launches, uh, upcoming new products that you guys are going to release? Well, you can uh, basically sign up for our newsletter on drainstraight.com, but we also have a Facebook page. If you like us on Facebook, anytime we uh, create an update uh, or we're about to launch, we're going to update our Facebook members, and that's another great way to stay connected with us. Uh, or if you're, uh, yeah, or you can catch us on Instagram, but we're uh, we're everywhere that uh, social media allows us to be. So just find us, friend us, and we'll uh, help you follow us. Cool. Thanks again so much for your time, Rashad. Hey, I appreciate it, Felix. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com slash masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial.